Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila. And this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. Oh, I've missed that. I know. It's been a little bit. There has been not a whole lot of movement, I guess, in the world of movies since we last recorded. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? No, you know what? That's not true. I'm thinking back to the last time we recorded. That's not true. Sundance happened in the middle. That's what I was going to say. Maybe this is a good time to give a little bit of like a very quick like state of the world on uh, state of the world on movies. So uh, the big things I think worth talking about are one movies still don't exist in the United States. They slowly exist other places. Uh, uh, I think China has opened up the majority of their theaters. Um, uh, you know, like it exists other places, just not in, I think, most of the Western world at this point. So, you know, theaters are open a little bit here and there, but the box office takes are like in the single digit thousands, which is so baffling. It's it's hard to describe. Um, the big things I think are worth mentioning are one, Warner Brothers was the first one to completely move their 2021 slate to theater and VOD release. So they have made the call like all of 2021, no exceptions, except there's an asterisk that says we might change our minds is going to release in theaters and on HBO Max same day, and you don't have to, like, pay for it. So it's every big blockbuster, to be honest. Like uh, Suicide Squad from James Gunn, uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong, uh, which we will definitely be doing an episode on. I can't wait to force you to do an episode on that. Oh, you you will not need to force me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. There's so many. It's, it's, even, it's hard for me to even keep track, but... That's that was the first studio to do it. It's anticipated every other studio is going to do the same thing. So that's kind of the big thing. Uh, Sundance, like Shulila just mentioned, happened for the first time virtually, which was pretty cool. That let a lot of people go to it when they've yeah, never been able to. Yeah, you could buy to. tickets online with no kind of access yeah. passes or anything. That was a really a big deal. That was huge for access, especially for younger, non-primary outleted uh reviewers of color and queer reviewers and like folks that do not normally have that access primarily because if you work for a smaller site they cannot afford to finance your travel to sundance utah so uh it's you know uh uh i just think that's worth mentioning like i think that's pretty cool and i kind of hope that they keep that up even if things go back to some version of normal um i agree yeah i I hope that stays put so Anyway, I think those are the big things. Those are probably the most important things to talk about in the world of movies. Is there anything I'm forgetting? Christopher Plummer died. That was sad. I mean, probably nothing that I know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Christopher Plummer was cool. Um, that's it. I think those are the important things. So let's talk about the next most important thing today, which is movies <laughs> made during and about the pandemic. So our 2021 like kickoff movie, like what we're beginning the year talking about for movies that came out this year is Lockdown, which is a... Like uh, Locked Down, not yes, locked, locked Down. Locked Down, which is a uh, Warner Brothers movie uh, on HBO Max, and I'm sure other places, that stars Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor as a formerly married... I assume, formerly married couple, yeah. uh, who are locked together in their home because London is shutting down for the pandemic in sometime circa 2020. So it's exactly the thing that on like the third week of March, we were all like, oh, God, 
everyone's going to make a movie about people broken up during the pandemic, aren't they? And they're and and yes, you're right. <laughs> this is that. This is the first of those. <laughs> And, and I'm amazingly, sure even in March, we were like, we're not going to want to see it. And guess yep. what? We still don't want to oh, see it. We called it early, really early. The world was like, you know what? Maybe don't do that. Keep it. <laughs> or at least it. like every studio should pick one and make it like the best one and then never mm-hmm. do another. And they didn't. They haven't done that. So that's what we're talking about with a twist. <laughs> There's a twist coming. <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> Boy, is there a twist. Yep. So uh, what else should we talk about here? I guess just for context, uh, locked down. Uh, I honestly, I'll admit, Shalila, I'm, I'm a bad podcast host today, among other days. Uh, I did exactly no research for this movie, mostly because I don't know if it deserved it. So it did not. I spent zero amount of time understanding the background of this movie, other than Doug Lyman is the one who directed it. Doug Lyman, who is the director of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, of Edge of Tomorrow, a podcast favorite, um, uh, other things that I'm forgetting, I'm sure, uh, some good, some pretty bad. That's yeah. That's it. I honestly don't know a single other thing. I don't know how it was made. I don't know when it was made. I mean, like I know it was made in 2020, but I don't know how or what conditions. I assume it was shot in London. Certainly parts of it were. Um I truly don't know anything else about it because I didn't commit any time to it, which is probably bad podcast like etiquette to admit that. But I can't emphasize enough how much it just doesn't deserve it. No, it doesn't. I It categorically didn't even deserve the amount of time we dedicated to watching it. Yeah, which was a lot. <laughs> I'm going to hearken back to the to the ages of your fave is problematic on Tumblr when you would get really scared that your fave is going to get blogged about. They're going to be like, actually, they're a racist. And you're like, God damn it. I love Doug Lyman. <laughs> I love Edge of Tomorrow. And it really uh, hurts yeah. me. But this is not a good movie. That's, that's what I was just say, what like, I have to say before we even start. I love Mr. and Mrs. Smith deeply. I love Edge of Tomorrow for very different reasons. Two very different reasons. But like one of them is like trashy goodness. And the other one is legitimately good. And this just is Either way, they're enjoyable. Yeah. So uh, there, there's really nothing else to get. I guess what I didn't give was like the primary conceit of this movie, which is that this couple who is locked down together, they're divorced or they're split up or whatever, and they're unhappy because they're stuck together. So, you know, classic, exactly what we all expected. The twist, huge quotes around the word twist, huge quotes, um, is that uh, they're, they're going to perform a robbery. Like they're going to do a heist and they're going to steal a diamond from a place that I don't know what is. Can you please explain it's, what this place is? Oh my God. You don't know what Herod's is? I don't know what Herod's is. How they kept talking about it as though it was like a big thing. Point. And I was like, oh, because it is. is. I'm assuming it's like American or British, like Macy's or whatever, but I don't Wait, know. Wait, you that don't know what sure. Herod's is? I have no idea. <laughs> is it not <laughs> British Macy's? This on me. Is that like it's, a bad yeah, way to describe it? Yeah, pretty much. It? It's just way fancier than Macy's. It's like the most fancy, 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 like luxury department store. Like only designer, you know, beauty products and jewelry and fashion. I don't know those uh, things. Watches and uh, stuff. I mean, there's other stuff. I'm pretty sure when you go in, there's food. It's kind of like its own little extremely fancy and expensive Macy's. Okay. I'm sure there's an American counterpart and I just don't know what it is. Like, is that what Saks does? Is that yeah, what? but like even fancier. A lot of money. Okay, got it. So they're they're heisting a uh, heisting. I'm gonna use that in the present tense or whatever that is. Heisting a uh, a, a as a verb. Uh, yeah, sure. 
There you go. Listen, it's been a long time since I took high school English. <laughs> uh, they are heisting a diamond from fancy British Macy's. And that's during lockdown. Oh my god, we're gonna lockdown. have to sit through this whole podcast while he calls it fancy <laughs> British the, Macy's. That's the plot. I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Shalila and I didn't like this movie, but it's not, no. I, I, I don't really think that's interesting to talk about. Like, it isn't good. I think what's more, I, I think we should spend a very minimal time on why it isn't good, uh, because it's pretty obvious, I think, and I would love to hear your, I think you have that summed up for us. Um, what I'm going to give you is my impassioned defense of it. I don't think I liked it, even for a second. I did not like this movie. I think there's a way that you can, uh, I'm going to put huge quotes around the word intellectually, you can wrap your mind around this movie actually being good and possibly a work of art that does not make it enjoyable. I still don't like it at all. Okay. So, okay, and okay. I think, I'm, I think I'm we have the same feelings listen. as to why. So I'm, I, I would like you to start by telling the audience why didn't you and I like this movie? Because there's myriad reasons. There, there are numerous, but I think I think I can cut to the chase. I think there's there's two reasons that are the main big causes of why this is this feels like a vacuum that sucks all the joy out of the room. Um, okay, so the first main big thing, which we kind of talked about, I just I just don't think pandemic art should happen like in this form. If if you are an actor or a writer or a filmmaker of any kind, just don't don't make pandemic art. Like I'm I'm begging you. Um, Eric once texted this to me, but seriously, just like perfect the scripts that you were already working on, and we'll we'll talk later this year, because everything made during the pandemic sucks. Um, it sucks. Every all the jokes are old. It's always about like, hey, did you know that there's toilet paper shortages? So, oh my god, I have to wash my hands for twenty seconds. Uh, oh my god, how does Zoom work? I uh, that oh my god, the the NHS. We have to clap for them. Oh, uh, I'm into baking. Uh, let's learn how to do things online. What's your pandemic hobby? Oh my god, my wedding is gonna be on the computer. Like we get it, and none of that is funny anymore because, first off. Enough time has passed that we are in a different era of quarantine or of COVID right now. So we don't want to be reminded of that time. But secondly, not enough time has passed. Like we're not out of COVID yet. So none of us want to be reminded of how things still suck. Like I'm still in London where this movie was set and I'm still in lockdown like they were in March of last year, which was 11 months ago. And I just think that like I can't find this funny. Like, I'm not going to find it funny until, like, 10 years in the future when we're all vaccinated and, like, it, people barely get COVID anymore. Like, I, I don't think that pandemic movies that are made during this time should be released now. Like, if anything, just hold on to it. You shouldn't have made it, but maybe it can become, like, a weird thing for us to remark on later. But, yeah. like, I think everyone who has made these things during the pandemic about the pandemic... Uh, except for the movie Host, which was really good because it didn't really address the pandemic. You should just delete it. Like, usually I would say it's good to process your trauma and anger at the world through art. But in this specific instance, where it's basically just rich, bored, white filmmakers who needed to get their big draft funded, like, just keep it. That's why. That's the main reason. It sucks. Yeah, I I just, I 100% I agree with you. Like, the only thing that I will say is... It's like a weird silver lining, except it's not a silver lining that you want, but it's like a Pyrrhic victory. That's what I'll, that's what I'll say. Where I very much expected once the uh, now former president of the United States, Donald Trump, was voted out of office, 
that we were going to be hit with an onslaught of non-stop Trump-era-related Hollywood productions, right? Uh, those that were literal oh, you're so right. and those that were not. Everything was going to be a wink. Everything was going to be a, guess who this is supposed to be? And we already had that to a degree. Like, I very much think if you watch a lot of movies coming out in the last, let's say, two years, um, big budget and children's, to be honest, um, they had them for sure. They always had their obtuse thing. You can see that in other areas of film, too. Like, my personal favorite example is, sounds like it's going to come out of nowhere, but in the movie Transformers, the president is 100% supposed to be George W. Bush. And they never show him, but you see him in Air Force One with his socks up on a table, and he has, like, a very Texan drawl, and he's, like, I don't know, telling some, uh, 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 you know, a, a, a woman who works on Air Force One to, like, get him a ho-ho, honey, that kind of thing. Like... It's that kind of like little winking thing that I knew was going to happen. And then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird Pyrrhic victory that we I, I don't actually know if we're going to get the Trump stuff for a while. Because it's going to be strangled by unnecessary pandemic stuff. But as far as I'm concerned, they both should follow the same rules, which is it should be like a 10-year thing. I mean, yeah. it, it just shouldn't happen like we need to just not we either need to have some nostalgia good or bad and we need to have some space and i frankly just don't want it um so i agree with you where i think this was i think it was kind of like dead on arrival like even the concept going in we were not set up to like it and then it didn't do anything to change our minds it's dreary it's uninteresting that's the biggest thing i'll say is it's just boring uh very very boring um like you said everything they talk about i feel like we've already talked about to death so there's nothing interesting about seeing it again because yeah especially in a quarantine state like we're all online so much which means we've had every bit of discourse that we normally would have i feel like we had it way more and in way more concentrated states so we're done we've moved on like i it's just not, oh, you're having problems getting on Zoom? Ha ha ha. It's just not interesting. Like, I don't, we're, we're past that. So, yeah, I, I really, I can't say more than just say it was boring. Um, I don't know yeah. if anyone cares if we spoil this movie for them. Do you think that's a good guess? Yeah. I, I, I don't think that anyone's going to watch this who hasn't already. Okay. I, I'll say this. I do think it might be worth watching only because... As far as I know, this is the first big, quotes around big, Hollywood movie to come out about the pandemic, to my knowledge. So uh, uh, it might be worth watching only in the sense of like, it's kind of like a weird piece of history and not a good one. Yeah. <laughs> like not one that you're- like I guess with. if you've already paid for HBO Max and it's already yeah, just there. Yeah, there's no loss. Maybe. Yeah. So here's the thing that I'm assuming you guys don't care if we spoil for you. The other thing that makes this movie not interesting is the heist doesn't exist. Yeah, man. It takes, it's in the last legitimately like 20 minutes in the movie that we get to the heist. Oh, it's it's way less than that. It's like 15. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's not disappointing really. It's just more like as it's happening, you're kind of like, I don't know, all tension I felt gone. So who cares? And even the concept of the heist does not come in until well after halfway through the movie. So... Yeah. It feels like a weird introduction where you're like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing a whole different thing now. 
Yeah, I, I really think that one of the most, card like, the cardinal sins in life, in my eyes, like, something that should be punishable to the fullest extent of the law is insinuating to me that a movie is a heist movie and then it's not a heist <laughs> movie. And also, then it's shitty. Like, it just, it, don't do that. This movie has done that to me. Widows has done that to me. I know people love Widows, but I didn't like Widows. <sighs> you and I don't. Pre- at least that movie had a lot of cool women. Like, yes. this movie didn't have anything. Widows had okay. stuff going on. <laughs> it had nothing. It had Steve and McQueen. At least it gave me Viola Davis crying, and I will think that. But there is nothing in this movie. Like, don't pretend to be a heist movie when you're not a heist movie, because I will expect to watch one hour of heist prep and then one hour of heist execution, instead of which I got two hours of two people who clearly hate each other, hate fighting, and doing ridiculous monologues about invisible swimming creatures and how tobacco tastes like youth, which is a real line that Chiwetel says in this movie. I don't I don't understand why it was made when it was just meant to raise our stress levels. Like I don't think there was anything that made any form of resolution come to life, especially because the heist like didn't really like, kind of happen. Like did it? I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think that's what we're talking about a little bit is the monologues. That that that's one of the only reasons to watch this is to just see the true art. That is the garbage fire of these monologues. I, oh, before we get that, I should also stress that this movie is full of unnecessary cameos, which wouldn't be oh, that yeah. much of an issue with me, except for the fact that they clearly only did that because they were all bored at home as well. Like, I don't I don't want to know that, like, Ben Kingsley and, like, Stephen Merchant are bored at home because they're rich. And I think that, like, you don't need to put them in your movie and remind me of that fact. Yep. Just keep it. Okay, yep. back to the thing about monologues. Yeah, they're just, they're they're... I mean, sort of similar to what you just said about the the cameos. Like, they're just unnecessary. And unnecessary in the way where it feels like, I don't know if they were filling time or if it's just a product of boredom. But, like, the monologues are nonsensical to the point of confusion on my part as to how the actors got through them. (laughs) I mean, there's a point in which Anne Hathaway is talking about an anchor swimming around her legs, which is like a, a... evil thing because she went to Paris and she works for a bad company and and now she's a Viking. She's a Viking a lot. She brings up Vikings like it's a a normal part of conversation. Dreams and Viking lives. In the middle of a work meeting that she's having, she just says like, oh, like the Valkyrie and the, 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 whoever is, I don't even remember who it was, whoever's on the call very correctly is like, what the hell are you talking about? Which is the right response. And she basically is like, oh, the Valkyries. They did not just pick doubles who, down on it. who lived and who, like, they didn't pick based on morality. They just chose. And you're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Why is this a part of your character? Like, what is the, I guess that's what I'm getting at. I think, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I think the, the most, the biggest fundamental problem with this movie beyond its conception, like it's, it's, it's just the, the conceit behind it at all. The biggest problem is that I don't know if there's one single human being in this entire movie who acts like a real person. Not ever. at all. No Not one a single talks person. like a real person. No one reacts like a real person. Their diction is not that of real people. They're like it's like people that are self-aware that they're on a stage. And it's just oh, I don't know. The the whole thing, the the lack of true action and true humanity in this movie very much felt like it made the what I what I tried to understand was I assumed the point, which was to make a 
a, pan, a pandemic movie that captured the truth of what it was like to be in quarantine also mixed with this sort of over-the-top heist, right? Like the 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 reason we're watching the movie, the genre. Right. And I don't think it succeeded in either front. It is not a successful heist movie. And more importantly to me, it doesn't capture any truth about the lockdown. It just doesn't. It captures the same six Twitter comments that we've been seeing for 10 months and that you have read several articles about and nothing more. It doesn't actually provide any insight into our relationships, how they've changed, how the way that we interact with each other is fundamentally and forever altered. Like, it doesn't really provide any insight into that. All it does is say, wasn't it weird how we have to stand in line for groceries now? And isn't it funny that you're a little bit grumpier than you used to be? No, not really. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. I also, it's also annoying that like if they kind of attempted to capture something that can appeal to everyone who's been through this, that it it was so overwhelmingly just rich. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like watching this movie, I was like, I lived like most of lockdown, like most of the, almost all of the past calendar year, one street away from where this movie is set and presumably shot because it looks exactly like it. And I obviously I'm not I I am I I don't I know I can't relate to every character in every movie but they were just acting so darn like separated from the people on the street like I don't know how to say it like they were like oh do you have a mask oh I have to wear a mask oh I guess I'll just tie this bandana I was like this was in March when like everybody who had any concern for health to be honest in London was wearing like two masks we were all kind of right. crazy about it. And you behaving like that just reeks of privilege. Like, I, what I'm saying is this movie wasn't even relatable. It just made me feel like they would be hateful, mean, rich people if I met them on the street, a street away from where I live, which is exactly how it's like where I live. And the whole point is nobody wants to see this shit on the screen. Like, if this is your reality, it sucks already. If it isn't, why would you want to see this experience? Like, does that make any sense? Yeah. No, for sure. And I think what you just said is really important, right? They're not likable. They're not, and I don't. I don't think all your characters have to be likable. We've talked about this in a previous episode. I'm sure of it. I think during our Oscars season, actually, that not every character has to be likable, but you have to have a reason to want to follow them. And I don't think this movie gave it to us at all. And and I think what makes it worse is that this isn't like, it's not a lack of talent. Like Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway and Dulé Hill and Ben Kingsley, uh, like the entire movie rests on just on, on, on edgy and Hathaway, but there's a wealth of talent in here and we've seen Doug Lyman be successful, right? He's been successful at suspense. I forgot he did the born identity series. So he is clearly successful at suspense. We know that he's successful at sexy smut. <laughs> Mr. Mrs. Smith, even if you don't like that movie is like very successful. It made mo- mo- all the monies in the world. And, I mean, famously, right, is uh, they were married for a long time after that movie. Like, it is it is a movie that correctly captured chemistry and understood how to put that on screen. And then you have Edge of Tomorrow, which is this fascinatingly, like, paced and, and, and you know, the way it's plotted out and, like, sort of the intricacies of it all. And legitimately none of that is present. I mean, none of it. And, and I just, I don't know. that That, to me, is even more upsetting because – there's it has everything going for it and it doesn't succeed yeah okay here's my question do you want to hear my defense first i would love to okay so here's my defense i want to restate i did not like this movie 
And my defense has nothing to do with enjoyment. I'm not actually sure it can be enjoyed. But what I will argue is this. If you really want to galaxy brain this movie, if you want to if you want to go hardcore full on conspiracy like multiple levels thinking, I think this movie might in fact be the perfect pandemic movie. It might actually be it might be that what they were trying to do was not execute a movie about quarantine, but to execute a movie that elicited in you, the viewer, the feeling of being in quarantine. Here's what I'm getting at. This movie, I have no idea how long this movie was. It honestly felt like it went on for three, four hours. I mean, I felt like I was sitting there forever. And as far as I know, like you just said, it was like a normal two-hour movie, right? Like a perfectly normal movie. Yet every scene and every sequence was so long that I could not help but be in every situation <laughs> thinking, is this monologue ever going to end? Is it? Or or is it is it the kind of thing where it just doesn't? And in fact, it's one big one-act thing. Like, when are we getting to the next point? And that, I think, is actually the most important part of my argument here. By the end of the movie, it doesn't really end. Like, there's no, like, conclusion. There's no feeling of, of finality. They just sort of do the thing that they said they were going to do. And then they're just kind of at home again. And they're like, guess what? Quarantine's extended. And they're like, silly us. I guess I'll show you your bag of flour that I've been hiding. And then it just ends. There's no sense of like... It's not a joke. That's actually what happens. There's no sense of... Yeah, that's not a joke. I didn't make any of that up. There's no sense of success. There's no sense of overcoming anything. They didn't... At no point do the characters actually work out the things that are clearly going on between them that have caused them to break up. And as far as I'm concerned, that may in fact be the perfect representation of what it's like to be in quarantine. It's a situation that feels like it's going on forever. That there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And no matter what you do, no matter how much you want this thing to end, it just kind of won't. And it's not your fault, apparently. It's the fault of whoever the hell it is in this movie. Slash whoever it is that is in charge of these things, right? And in the same way that it's not productive to blame individuals in the pandemic for the furthering of bad health policies... I don't really blame Anne Hathaway and Chuetta Legia for. It's not their fault. It's the administration or your government's fault, which is Doug freaking Lyman and the writer. <laughs> it is it is their complete conception of this movie that is the problem. It's their reaction to every component of it. They are unlikable characters. The writing is unlikable. And again, that feels so correct. There's nothing about this experience, even the things that you want to like, have this veneer of just like either being fake or being temporary or whatever. And that is legitimately what was going through my head while I was watching the heist. Like I'm sitting in there looking at it and thinking, oh my God, is this movie about the pandemic? I don't mean like is the plot about the pandemic. I mean, is the way the movie's constructed meant to be mimicking to us what it is to actually be in this like is it is it meant to is it art on a meta that level? feels like what it's about yes and is that the actual point of it is it trying to bring that out of you and to say guess what this is what quarantine is you know how you heard that joke back in march and you still haven't stopped hearing it we're gonna actually do that we're gonna make one joke about edgar Allan poe 
And the first time it happens, I found it hilarious. I was honestly like, that was really funny. Well done, movie. And by the end of the movie, I truly hope I never hear about Edgar Allan Poe again. <laughs> I hope that he disappears into the annals of history and I don't have to hear from him. Because that is exactly what it's like to be on the internet and to be hearing jokes and to be with our colleagues. Uh, the white liberalism in this movie and the white feminism that are so Jeez. violently rampant also feel pretty accurate to the way that the internet has largely responded and like what we're seeing like i don't know it just that is the only thing i have it's my only defense is i think there's a possibility that they actually galaxy brained this now the only hole that i have in this the only one i know that sounds great the only problem in my theory <laughs> is that it was written by uh what is his name steve knight stephen knight stephen knight thank you it was written by stephen knight my the only hole that i have in my argument is this i have since seen one more movie written by stephen knight <laughs> a movie that shalila has wanted me to watch and because of that movie I now am not sure it's possible that he could have galaxy-brained a movie. Because what I I've now learned agree. is that Stephen Knight only operates on the level of absolute, pure, tangible metaphor. Like metaphor that you have to choke on. So it, 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 he can't reach galaxy brain. It can only sit at normal brain. So with that, that is all I have to say about locked out. Locked down? Locked in? Who the hell cares? Locked down. <laughs> Shalila, please tell us what you immediately thought of while watching this movie. Okay. I really want to do that, but I just Googled something incredible about this movie, about Locked Down, and I really hope this is the last time we ever talk about it. But I, I did what I guess podcast hosts are supposed to do, which is research, finally. While you were talking, I was definitely <laughs> listening. I was not Googling. Um... <laughs> But what I've learned is that they wrote this movie between July and September of 2020. And then Anne Hathaway and Chiotel immediately flew to London, started filming it while the script was still being finalized. So they didn't even have time to learn their lines. And they had to stick notes with dialogue to each other's clothes to read while <laughs> acting. And... There's this thing that says, here's a detail to look for in the film that illustrates the COVID protocols on screen. Pay attention to the kitchen counter. There are about five bottles of sanitizer at the beginning. The supply dwindles throughout the film because crew members were taking bottles home to their families when sanitizer was in short supply. Holy God. <laughs> I should also stress that while Doug Lyman was filming this movie, he was like mentally preparing for his next project, which is with Tom Cruise in space. And I don't mean that it oh, is yeah. a movie set in yeah, space. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that they are flying on Elon Musk's passenger transport to space yeah, to shoot space. Yeah. a movie on the International Space Station this October. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming he was mentally out of it while preparing to go to space as a passenger. But he did make the mistake of saying in, an, in the same interview that he thinks this movie is 100% relatable and uh, screw him for that. So I'm going to tell you now what I was actually thinking about. So when I was watching this movie, I was like, first off, it sucks. But second, all the crazy monologues really remind me of something. They remind me of this movie that I watched a long time ago and then watched again. And I mean, objectively a bad movie, but I love it. Like, I love it a lot. It's called Serenity from 2019. 
you may have heard of it, friends. Uh, genuinely, you may have. I don't know if you did. Um, but it did appear and disappear very fast from theaters, and it's probably because it's a batshit crazy movie. Now, the reason they're related is that the same guy wrote both of them. Stephen Knight, he wrote both of these movies. He only wrote Locked Down, but he wrote and directed Serenity, which is really interesting because, honestly, I think uh-huh. I'm leading towards being a big fan of his. He's, he's crazy, <laughs> but maybe he should be given full reign over his projects in the future. Like, this clearly this pairing thing doesn't work. But he is, he's a ridiculous man. And all of the crazy monologues in this movie for a second sparked serenity in my head. Um, and that's just, that's called a brand, first off. Second, um, the actors in both of these movies are doing the most. Like, they're both acting so much. But Locked Down is one of, is the version of this kind of crazy movie where you don't enjoy it at all. And you're wondering why they're acting so much. Like, who, who is holding them hostage with this script? And then Serenity is a version of the movie where you're like, you know what? This is great. Keep acting. Keep giving it your all. I'm enjoying it. And I also, I have a question for us at the end of this, which is why did the actors sign on to do any of these movies, both of which star Anne Hathaway as the female lead? So let's get into Serenity that I forced you to watch. Yeah, so Shalila... While watching this, while watching Lockdown, she kept telling me, this is just Serenity. And I decided to sit down and watch it. And I was at first confused because I don't know how this connects to Joss Whedon's Firefly live action movie. And then it turns out (laughs) that's not what she was talking about. (laughs) So you can find it on Amazon Prime. Serenity is, uh, I mean, it's definitely one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But yeah. not because it's it, – I, I don't really know how else to describe it. It's not like anyone's particularly bad in it. It's not like there's any one individual bad part. It's like the whole concept is so immediately broken once you learn what the concept <laughs> is that there's just no way you could salvage it. And there's no actual point. There's no lesson. There's no moral. <laughs> there's no purpose, which should sound pretty familiar. It's what we just said. About lockdown. And that's when I realized that she was right. This is just lockdown. Serenity is a movie (laughs) about Matthew McConaughey being a fisherman. Named Baker Dill. Named Baker Dill. uh, A fisherman who is a former Marine (laughs) living on an island, uh, Providence Island, called Plymouth Ooh. Island. Plymouth Island. Sorry, thank you. Plymouth Island. Somewhere. We don't know where. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. It's Florida. It's off the coast of Florida, and it's right next to Miami. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was so close. But it can't be in the United States. Exactly. Right? No, okay. but it is. It's Florida. Canonically, it's off okay, the coast of Miami. I didn't know Miami. that. I did not know it was like part of the United States. I thought it was supposed to be like a Caribbean island. Okay, interesting. No. Are you sure about that? I'm a hundred percent sure. Here's my only question: Why? Because they bring up the name of the 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 police chief, the only lawman, once, and his <laughs> name is like Colonel Sapata. They like okay, it's the, you know what? the the weird like the feeling I got was that it was supposed to be like an ex like you know like junta military leader who retired on some random island. I would assume <laughs> off the coast of Latin America or the Caribbean. It is now like the guy in charge like they kept talking about like the law as opposed to like 
American he is tourism the rules. directives. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway, none yeah. of that matters. Well, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The point is, Matthew McConaughey is a fisherman and a former marine. <laughs> Your first mistake was assuming that anything is logical. <laughs> who, whose wife, played by Anne Hathaway, confusingly, comes to him yep. and basically pays him a bunch of money and requests that he take her new husband out on his boat and then kill her new husband because he's abusive to her and her and Matthew McConaughey's son. Which is like a totally normal conceit. Right. In the scheme of things. Like that's a completely normal setup. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is obsessed with a fish uh, that is a trying that he can't catch. A oh, gigantic tuna. it's a fish named Justice. A fish named Justice. Let's not forget. Uh, we, which it's going to come up every five minutes. Normal. A large tuna fish called Justice. Yep. Uh, none of that is like absurd. It's not well done, but it's uh, not absurd. The twist of this movie, I'm going to spoil it for you now because I promise you Which don't care. Which comes in way too early, by the way, an Remarkably hour and five soon. minutes into this Remarkably movie. soon. The way twist of the movie is that none of it's real and that his son in the real world has actually programmed <laughs> a video game. A video game in which he plays his dad, who is actually a guy who died in Iraq uh, as, a, as a Marine. Um, and plays him trying to catch this fish and not being able to because his memory of him was from when he was three years old and his dad couldn't catch a fish. And then he decides to program in a new plot line, which is his dad's avatar killing the actual kid's real life stepdad. And this inspires him, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 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 for lack of a better word, uh, inspires him to um, kill his actual stepfather, which he then does. Yeah, that's the ending. Except not quite, because something else really weird happens at the end that may or may not be real. Like, maybe? Maybe it's real? The kid writes himself into the video game and tells yep. his dad that he's going to visit him and then visits him in the game and they are united reunited that's the ending so here's why i think this is important to talk about i'm sure for some listeners there's the question right now of what is going on they've really fallen off the rails (laughs) this is the end (laughs) which is what they should have told Stephen knight when he pitched the (laughs) script in the boardroom here's where i think this matters for lockdown what i just told you obviously sounds Truly bonkers. It's like, a great movie, though, just, guys. It's a great movie. There's two important things to talk about. One, it is just as nonsensical as Lockdown. It is just as pointless. But it's enjoyable to watch because it's so out there. Like, it's just truly such a weird watching the train go off the rails. Can't wait to see how it crashes. That you want to stop and watch. While... Obviously, that is not the case for uh, lockdown. Like, there's just nothing in it that's compelling, so why do it? The other thing I think is important to note here, though, and the reason that it defeats my galaxy brain argument, having watched Serenity, no one in Serenity acts like a normal person. Not a single human being acts like a real person, ever once. Not Matthew McConaughey, not Anne Hathaway, not, uh, what's his name, Jason Isaacs, I think. Is uh, Jason um, Clark? It's, it's a different Something Jason. Like that. Uh, not Jeremy Strong. Nobody. Nobody is normal. 
I think that could be, that makes sense in this movie to a degree. They're not normal because it turns out that they're actually all people that this literal child has been coding. And we need to talk about at some point, in some point in our lives, you and I together, why this kid programmed so much of that game to be him playing his dad just, I mean, Dude, really going at intensely it. having sexual relations with some random woman on this island. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. Like, first off, so much of this movie is Matthew McConaughey's butt, like bare butt, which implies that this child is obsessed with his yes, his father's butt. Also, he has a lot of like weirdly violent sex in a lot of scenes, mostly with Diane Lane, who also pays him for the sex, like, but not openly. I'll say this. This movie understood something Lockdown didn't, which I complained to you about while watching it over text. If you're going to make a bad movie with famous people in it, you have to understand one fundamental rule, which is that normal peasants like you and I, we like to see famous people we know be naked and do stuff with each other when they're naked. That's a fundamental rule. And Lockdown didn't do it once, and that's a crime. And this movie did it all the time, and it understood that. Here's what I'm getting at, though. No one acted like a real person, and I can understand that because it's supposed to be a video game. Now, the kid didn't act like a real person even when he was in the real world, and that's confusing. But the fact that in lockdown, no one acts like a real person either makes me think that, once again, you cannot galaxy brain serenity. You cannot say that the movies, well, you're actually supposed to watch it as though you're experiencing what it's like to be a video game. Or, I guess the other way around is to live in... A grief rendition, a grief fever dream, if you want to think about it that way. Like, either direction, you cannot argue that that's what's happening. Because in a situation like lockdown, you don't have the argument that it's a fictional world and still no one's acting like a real person. Which means it's not that that's the thing. There is no galaxy brain. It's just that he doesn't know how to write real people at all. No one speaks normally, ever. The, the other reason that we wanted to bring this up and sort of talk about this is... These are both movies that feel like a very classic example of the self-insert where the lead men in particular are very evidently and obviously meant to be the writer's self-insert. And both of them are these like weirdly tragic figures. These are men who just aren't really understood. And one of them is a poet for some reason. And it's in a way that it's like, if everyone else would just understand poetry like he does, maybe the world would be better. Also, motorcycles, if they were just like a little more free like he was. And then in the other, Matthew McConaughey is just like, if people actually like cared about the people they care about. And if they minded their business and if if they understood what it is to chase a dream, then you would understand me, the main masculine character. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so, like, again, I used this at the beginning. Like, it's like you're choking on it. Like, you literally, it's so overwhelmingly obvious. Yeah, it's like, write a journal entry, dude. Like, you don't need to do this every time. It's it's remarkable. And both of them feature Anne Hathaway in not the same role, but in a in the, the similarity here, I think, being yeah. that there's obviously this degree of, like, the woman done me wrong. And if, you know, in in lockdown's case, it's 
she just never really knew what she wanted. And when she changed her mind about what she wanted, well, he changed too. And that wasn't the right decision. So he was always set up to lose, no matter what. He's always set up to lose. And she now realizes that actually this is what she's always wanted. And he doesn't have to do literally anything. He doesn't have to change a single thing about himself in the entire movie. And she just eventually is back on his side. Uh, the same exact thing happens here. Like the, the lead character doesn't have to change at all. Matthew McConaughey doesn't really have to do anything ever. He just has to kind of continue being exactly himself. And eventually the world will mold around him. And this is mostly catalyzed by Anne Hathaway. Like she will eventually help along what needs to happen. It will sort of come to him and make that all happen. So it's just one of those, uh, I think it's a really good example of movies in which that is overwhelming to the point of detraction. Yeah. Self-insert isn't new. That's a very common thing. But my God, is it, uh, it drowns you here. I'm telling you the fun of Serenity is that it's a fun movie. Like at least you're watching it and you're definitely like, this is objectively bad, but I'm having a grand old time. Which I can't yeah. believe how far from that objective lockdown ended up. It's just so much fun. And in a, I, I even think the twist coming so freaking early serves that purpose. Like it makes it even more fun. Like they were like, okay, this is clearly not a good movie. But let's have as much fun yeah. as we can with it. Like let's leave you with a full 52 minutes of knowing that this is a video game for you to like really enjoy everything that's happening they really gave up on it and i I like that like i like i love movies where you know nobody's being harmed necessarily like this isn't like depressing anybody by how bad it is it's just bad but it's but the people in it have committed to it and out of that we get something that we can all laugh at slash talk about like i like pieces of art like that obviously i don't think every movie should be like that or the industry will suffer. But like every so often when there's a movie that's so bad, it's good. I think that's a fine thing. It's just that I expected lockdown to be either genuinely good or at least compelling and bad, but it was neither, which is why it sucks. And yeah. we should talk about serenity. No, I agree with you completely. Like that, the, uh, that's what I think I said is, is the, the biggest thing for both these movies is that they actually have nothing to say. No, like nothing they, at they all. Both, nothing. They act like they have something to say and they just don't. By the end of it, there's no actual compelling thesis they just they just are what they are and the problem is one of them is enjoyable to watch because it's an enjoyable train wreck and the other one is just not there's nothing of enjoyment and if you're going to make a movie about the pandemic during the pandemic at least make it enjoyable like at least make it something we want to watch um and not just as unenjoyable as quarantine like don't just don't replicate it like give us something and we know that they're capable of it because of this it could have just it could have been something equally as ridiculous truly out there like they tell us that they're in a zoom call but they think it's the real world like just do something so out off the rails that we have no choice but to pay attention yeah but they don't the only other things I want to talk about with Serenity, these are the only other things I have to contribute, oh, are I did more research for Serenity than I did Lockdown, <laughs> which probably says something. There's two things that I think are worth noting about the movie Serenity. One, Anne Hathaway said one of the reasons she took this role is because she's not usually offered roles like this. And I don't know what that means. What, what is? Like, what the hell does that mean? What do you mean? What role is this? What possibly... She said that she took it. I think this is an exact quote. Uh, she took it because, quote, 
this character got to wear a mask against the male gaze, unquote. I have literally no idea what she's talking about. Dude, None. what? I, the entire I, movie is Every bit of this character abuse. is defined by the three men around her. She has it is defined no by her ex-husband, lines that are not her current abusive husband. Daddy. Like, I'm not even kidding. son that is creating her. So, I have no idea what she's talking about. I, really I think I, I, my genuine um, pitch is that they told her, hey, you can be blonde in this movie. And she was like, sick, I'm in. Yeah, I, I don't think that you're wrong. I, we, I texted you this, but I legitimately think that she... Um, I think that she won her Oscar and she went home. I think that like, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Like, I think she just, she's got money to make. She must have bills to pay and she's comfortable with that. And that's why you have the witches and you have this and you have uh lockdown and she hasn't made a good movie in a while. And I legitimately think it's because she doesn't need it. <laughs> she's good to go. Um, the other thing that I want to bring up is that this movie was shot in the country of Mauritius and that the prime minister of Mauritius, I believe is who it is, uh, there was like a huge scandal afterwards because he apparently misappropriated like $200 million worth of money in order to make this movie. What? Like they spent an egregious amount of money to make this movie happen. And then there's this really interesting uh, section of the article that talks about how the studio, you know, like the, the the country of Mauritius basically underwrote this entire thing. There's a huge scandal because he misappropriated a bunch of funds to do it. And then they promised uh, Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey were basically they signed on to do like a full suite of press. Like they were going to be on every talk show. And the the order was essentially like. As many as you can get us on, we'll do it. Apparently, they were both into this movie. Um, and that was, like, the plan. The The production company, or the distribution company, rather, got it in front of test audiences. And it scored so terribly that they just killed the entire thing. Wow. They cut all marketing, and they cut all uh, uh, press. So that they ended up doing, like, six talk shows in time slots no one watches in obscure markets in the world uh and then they just let the movie die because what else was it going to do um it also opened against the kid who would be king which is a sleeper hit of a movie Ugh. i don't know if you've seen that movie i i don't think i have but i did see the trailer every single time i went to the theaters for like six months so i remember it it's the one with andy circus's should, son we should do that one next right yeah i'm i'm I happy to think so <laughs> We should do that one next. Um, if you want to stick to this weird theme of uh, movies with weir- with uh, incredible twists, oh, there's a twist. That is a movie. Oh, there's a there's a really intense twist in a way that I did not expect. Like I watched that movie. I, I don't know when it comes. out. I'm gonna say half. Uh, halfway through that movie, I was like, man, I guess we're almost at the end. Cool. Like this has been fine. It's been mostly the same YA fare as normal. And then this thing happens, and you're like, oh my god. Okay. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Never mind. Like, this is something completely different. It was kind of refreshing, actually. It's very sweet. It's very honest. Um, yeah, this is a complete deviation. Only to say, Kitty Would Be King is the only thing that opened against this movie, and I get why. This that movie's better. Yeah, that movie's leagues better. Man, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. I think we should briefly mention because it's so crazy that you can't just not mention so many of the things that make it crazy, like. The fact that he's chasing a fish called Justice. Also, the fact that, like, okay, I know it's a video game, so 
obviously everything in this movie that is into the brief flashes of the real reality are the the product of the imagination of a 12 year old who is deeply traumatized and being abused on the daily but like what yep. is this game like this is i wonder the same ridiculous. thing it is ridiculous like they keep hammering into you that it's a video game and then like the car yeah. radio station sounds like the radio station in, like gta where it's like a beautiful day yeah. to catch that fish called justice huh well you better head to wouldn't your this, boat like wh- wouldn't this also make him like the most prolific uh game this designer kid on the planet? could could defeat like, every triple a company fact- like in his next project he could outdo red dead redemption yeah. definitively it's it's ai like the problem with this yeah whole is thing that is it has Matthew achieved sentience truman shows himself exactly so you're telling me he wrote an ai so a, well a her situation he wrote an AI so strong yeah. that ex machina is happening <laughs> yeah this yeah. kid code also the, i'm serious the amount of like sex that he coded like he coded his parents having sex why would why would you code your pa- why would you why why would you code your dad having sex with diane lane every time like a little mini game happens like who is diane lane is is presumably an npc in this game and she has sex with his dad all the time also i want to say that like he is obviously weirdly obsessed with his father's body like matthew mcconaughey and this i get this is the point of these movies fan service but if we think about it for a second within the logic of this movie why is he always wet slash sweaty slash naked there's also a scene where he goes and this is i think honestly this might be the best scene in the entire movie because it's like oh yeah this is what a kid would think but like at one point he goes i'm gonna go take a shower and then he just jumps into the ocean like he just he just d- dives off a cliff oh yeah he just did a couple of times yeah. yeah which is not a shower <laughs> but i do think that's how a kid would think also at one the way that he realizes that um he like Matthew McConaughey learns that he's in a, a video game is that Jeremy Strong, aka Kendall Roy from Succession, dressed as a nerd from a video game. Like he looks like a detective from Cluedo. He has a long trench coat and nerd glasses, and he's just chasing after him, going, Sir, I have something to tell you. I am the rules. And it's like, what is Yeah, going I don't get on? what his rule what is his role? He is, I think, like I the manifestation of the be... logic of the program. Like he's like the code editor. That's what I was gonna say. He's like the 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 what do you call it? Like the engine. Yeah. Right? Like he's like literally the because he's there's like, no he's, other sense to it. He's the actual he's a, kid. Yeah, he's like terminal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just so, so weird. I'm looking at the rest of this guy's IMDB because I was curious to see like what else what else has Steve Knight done such that maybe it'll give me like an insight? Stephen Knight. Sorry, Stephen Knight. Um so as far as I can tell, here's my guess. We just learned that Dirty Pretty Things was apparently nominated for an Oscar. Right after that, he did uh Eastern Promises, which is another like really big, as far as I know, well-received movie. Vigo Mortensen, big movie. He basically falls off the map as far as like quality goes until you get to his tv stuff he created peaky blinders which has been on for a long time and is like a very very well respected show um you know huge show with cillian murphy uh that i think is is i think it's what is that stars i think in the u.s i can't remember but uh big show but his movies since then are lock with tom hardy that i don't think 
as far as I know, no one no. watched. Like, I'm aware of it as a Tom Hardy movie. I don't know anyone watched it. Um, Closed Circuit, which no one watched. Seventh Son, no one watched. Allied, I watched uh, for some reason. Um, which is another example of a movie that just people aren't really real in it. Uh, uh, which is a movie with with uh, Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. In World oh, War II I remember that. Basically, trying to get out of a get out of a town, and it's like fine. It's Robert Zemeckis' movie, but again, no one's really being real people in it. Uh, the girl in the spider's web. Uh, so I, I'm assuming that's what the third in the girl in the dragon tattoo series. I don't know if anyone watched those. No clue. Serenity, uh, and then lockdown. I mean. Yeah, this man is spiraling and somebody should help him, I think. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, basically, as far as I can tell, what happened was he had a hit TV show that he's probably spending most of his time focusing on. And while that's happening, he's made a bunch of movies that no one has seen or are about people that aren't acting as people <laughs> at all. Yeah, I'm worried about him. I just, I, I really, I just genuinely want to sit down with him and I want to ask him all these questions. Like, I want to sit down with him for like an hour and be like, hey, Steven. When this child in the movie is coding the video game, like it kind of looks like he's staring at a code editor with a bunch of green text instead of a GUI screen with a game. So at any point, is he playing the game or is, the, is it just programmed? Like is the <laughs> I game that, no, happening? No, so you do see him do it. No, you do see him do it because you see him. There's that, there's that point in which he's laying in bed. Or laying on the floor, and he's got the thing in front of him, and you can see, like, the island and the dock and everything. So, it's clearly a real thing, but the problem is, like you said, that's only, he's only looking at it. So, as far as I can tell, he does two things. He sits in front of, like, a terminal and codes the game, I'm assuming actively, because he's like watching the results happen, which I don't understand how any of that works. Right, I don't know. And then B, he sits there and just watches his creation. Right, that's play what I'm wondering. So it's kind of like a pre-programmed but the is he's not movie. It's like the Sims, it. but pre-programmed. Yes. Right, and also it's like a full 3D modeled world that he's looking at. Yeah, so this, again, kid this kid is, is the most a phenomenal genius. It's deeply. I, I don't confusing. understand. Like, also, I do think I, I. That's what I'm saying. We can enjoy this movie because you assume that. Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway are acting in this movie the way that they think a 12-year-old would think of people. Also, there is some, like, logic to this movie wherein if we have all these issues, like, we're like, why do they act so exaggerated? Why um, is, like, the sex so violent and transactional? Like, you can assume, and also, why does the stepfather say all these weird things? Like, why is he this billionaire in the movie when he's, he's like, a construction worker in uh in real life like all of those things you can assume are because this kid is being like abused lives in this abusive household and he has only ever seen like violent sex or only ever seen like men talking that way about other women or only ever seen like all of these things so he assumes that that's how life is which is why the actors are hopefully i guess giving it their all to act that way or that's why it's it's written that way but that's what i'm saying you have that backing to lean on and be like oh it's so weird because they all know it's a video game. So everybody on set is like, ah, might as well be weird. Like, what would a 12-year-old do, you know? But in right. lockdown, you don't get any of that. Like, you don't you don't get anything. But I have one more Go question. Right at the end, when he write in, writes himself into this game or whatever and sees it, how is that yep. game still running? Like, is his computer still plugged in? Did he program himself into the game 
to meet his dad for an emotional payoff that like we don't need because the dad yeah, doesn't exist. For sure. Like for what sure. what for is sure. what is Which going again on? It, it goes back to the problem we talked about with lockdown, right? Like there's no reason for you to care about anybody. Lockdown, you don't care about them because they never do anything to make you care. This movie, you don't care because you're almost immediately told that they're not real. So the only person that you can actually care about is the kid who, who you never real. spend any time with in any meaningful way. So you don't care. So the payoff is like, in other words, what you're watching, you know, is what you just described, I think, is a perfect example. What you're seeing is he created his own self in the Sims kid model. And then he clicked on Matthew McConaughey and he said, go give dad a hug. And then the Sim child runs to give Sim dad a hug. But he's still in his mental facility. Right, exactly. But who cares? cares? The only compelling part is where you understand that, like, he made the game, uh, like, a series of repeating rules where, like, his dad character just tries to catch the fish every day and play all the other mini games. But because the kid is having these intrusive thoughts of killing his stepdad, he kind of programs it in, like, unconsciously or consciously into the game kind of hoping, like you had said, hopefully that like the character of his dad will take a decision as to whether to kill the the, the, yeah. the step AI style and then he'll follow right. through on that, which is kind of compelling in that way because you're like, oh, I can see how your virtual reality is bleeding into your real life. But nothing else matters. Yeah. That's the only link that matters. And they get they don't do it in a way that I think actually makes any sense. Like you just said, like you can work your way into that logic, but I don't think it's actually what, they don't do it in a, in a strong enough way but I think you just hit it on. Like the point of that is the kid is not going to do it until his quote dad, until his sim dad makes that decision because clearly the dad is supposed to be a moral compass of some sort. So the dad choosing to do that when the system keeps telling him it's a bad idea is to definitively say then that it must be a okay decision and thereby the child can do that. But that's because I sat with that and could like I, I worked myself into that <laughs> like it's not like a way they don't really provide <laughs> don't enough to emotion to it to make that like obvious or to make it worthwhile so yeah all yeah, we get is I, Matthew I McConaughey yeah. doing the most acting his butt off literally and just yelling lines and you have to kind of just hope that like you enjoy seeing that because otherwise there's nothing for you but I really enjoy seeing that so there's a lot for me but would you like to tell us what we can learn from this, these experiences, if anything? Yeah. So I think here, here's what I kind of want to leave it on is, is and learn being a strong word. But here's what I'm going to leave it on. We need to stop doing two things. Three things. <laughs> One, stop making your protagonist yourself insert to this degree. Like separate out from your self insert at least a little bit. Two, um... We don't need to make pandemic movies. We just don't. We already had uh, Contagion, and that was the perfect pandemic movie, and it happened way before pandemic hit. So you just don't need to do it. I know they're going to do it anyway, but if you're going to do it, at least make it enjoyable to watch. Like, stop making things that are so palpably non-enjoyable during the time that it's still going on. And three, stop trying to replicate video games and movies. (laughs) They're two different mediums. And just like the quarantine, like you cannot actually take that thing and translate it into (laughs) film. It's not possible. They're completely different mediums. You will never capture that feeling because they're not the same form of art or experience. So stop doing it. (laughs) And just, just don't. 
But if you're going to do it, at least do it as truly out there as this one yeah. was. Um, yeah, I, I I really am afraid for you and I because we're going to have to go through a lot more pandemic movies before this is all yeah. over. And I don't know. I mean, I'll say that I don't really watch TV anymore, like not live TV. The only thing I really keep up with that isn't like an HBO show is uh, Superstore on NBC, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and that has had a, a, a pandemic plot line that's actually been pretty enjoyable uh, mostly because they did the correct thing, which is they sort of – they did all of the old jokes right in the beginning. And they sort of did a time lapse of like, now we're in March, now we're in April, now we're in May, now we're in June. This is when the show came out. It was like, Jesus, now we're here. So it sort of correctly understood that you kind of have to – you know, you, you, you can't sit in the past. And that's been pretty enjoyable. They do a good job of making it funny. They do a good job of incorporating it just kind of into the everyday without making it too much about it. I'm vaguely aware though that like every show is doing this apparently – yeah. I think on This Is Us, there's supposed to be a pandemic plotline now. Like, everything's got a quarantine pandemic plotline. And I don't I, I, I don't know if that is the right decision. I really think people want an escape yeah. and not a familiarity. But Yeah, I think it's always funny whatever. when, you know, the, the runners of these projects always say things like, oh, I think it would be wrong or amiss to not acknowledge the shared reality and i'm like i don't think so like in this case that's not the purpose of your art i think you should actively ignore the shared reality and talk about what life could be like yeah i think it also and and i think i want to bring this back to something that you had talked about with lockdown like it also ignores the variance in experience and it surmises that everyone is experiencing the same thing and in this case what lockdown is positing is that being stuck with someone that you used to be with or i would assume even surprising that being stuck with someone that you are with uh, romantically or otherwise, um, that this is what it's like. This is that situation. Except what you talked about is like really true. Like they are overwhelmingly wealthy. Chiwetel's not, which is confusing. He's like a truck driver and he's apparently has no money except they were married and she's the head of the English branch, British branch, London branch of a gigantic corporation. So I don't understand how he... Did she take all the money? Like were they married for one month it. with no joint bank accounts? Right. I, I don't understand any of that. But the point being, they live in what I I saw as a very nice place. I don't extremely, know London Extremely, extremely expensive and fancy. Nice kitchen. Uh they live in a very nice place. Uh they she seems to have very nice clothes. He seems to suffer no consequences ever for his action. Like I think that's the part that I want to focus on of what you just said is like it's it's it, everyone's experiences are different in this and we cannot presume that this idea of like well it would be a disservice to not present the quarantine and to show people what it's going on like but what you're showing like Hollywood filmmaker is not what the vast majority of the country let alone the world is experiencing yeah. like most folks do not have this luxury that they did in this movie or even i think that you and i do to a degree like it just isn't existing so if you're gonna show it i think i'd be a lot more interested in having people who are actually from communities that are being affected or are related to people who are in this community being affected in a much more unique way let's actually see those stories play out then and let's not always make it about the quarantine because like i think the biggest thing we've learned is that the quarantine is just a a symptom of a larger thing um and this movie tries to say that and then just utterly doesn't and everyone just gets off scot-free at the end of it so there's just no point 
Yeah. In this interview about this movie, about Lockdown, Doug Lyman says, what's incredible about the experience of making Lockdown is that Anne Hathaway, Chibatella Geofor, my producers and the crew, everybody signed up for the adventure. Everybody. I never had that level of camaraderie on a set of a movie. When we wrapped, we were all crying. We couldn't hug because of the pandemic, but God knows we were crying because we all knew that we had just worked on something that was so special for each and every one of us. Which just makes me lose hope, I think. <laughs> so I'm not going to dwell much yeah, on that this quote. Is, this has been talked about a lot, and I feel like it's important to bring this up again, of like, that idea of like, everyone chose to be there. No, they didn't. No, dude. Like, I don't know that much about the world of filmmaking, but I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that a big portion of your crew did not choose to be there because the choice is either between unemployment or employment. That's not a choice. Like, that is not a choice free of leverage and free of power dynamics. So the, the you know, the PAs that have to be there, I, I don't think that's, the, it's not like they're like, mm, God, I can't wait to make this piece of art with you. Like, <laughs> It's a choice between paying bills or not. That's yeah. never going to be equal. So here's what I'm actually going to leave it on because that's such a depressing note. Yeah. Do you want an actual suggestion for a good piece of pandemic watch? Yeah. I have an actual suggestion. Please. There is a fake animal documentary series on Netflix that I think is called Tiny Animals or Small Animals or something like that that came out in the beginning of the pandemic, I recommend watching it. That's my pandemic recommendation here. It's the guy behind planet earth who basically when lockdown started said, I am paraphrasing completely, but essentially said, I bet I can make a nature documentary in a pandemic using animals in my backyard. And then he did it. (laughs) So everything in it is like fake. But it's like fake in a way that's like almost cute. Like it's almost endearing because it's so obviously not real and staged. And there's weird like plot lines. Like the first episode is about the desert. And it's about following this little like kangaroo mouse trying to navigate through the desert and not get eaten by a tarantula and by a hawk and everything else. And when I was first watching it, I was like, these are very weird shots. Like I don't know how he managed to get this in nature. That seems very (laughs) unlikely. How is there a camera inside of this boot? Like, how would they know? And that's what led me to look it up and realize it's just a set. Like, he basically just took, like, a a desert set and put it in his backyard. And then he got a bunch of animal handler friends to come and just, like, drop off a rat and drop off a a, a hawk. And then he would just film it and then stick a green screen behind it. (laughs) And every episode is like this. There's, like, an episode of, like, the urban one where there's like a rat running around New York and most of New York is just this CGI thing. And then there's like a real pipe every now and then and (laughs) except the creatures are real. And it's kind of, that's my actual recommendation because that show correctly theorized that no one would want to watch an actual pandemic nature documentary. They don't want to watch like, what are the animals doing? Well, we're all locked out. What they want to see is a cute mouse running away from a hawk and trying to be a mouse or whatever. <laughs> like, they don't care. They don't care that it's fake. They don't care about any of it. All they want is pretty cinematography because it's the guy from Planet Earth and he's using Planet Earth lenses in order to shoot a guinea pig running out of an apartment. That is exactly what you should be doing. He shot a lot of it in his own house. Incredible. Like, I, I really, that to me is the antithesis of everything we talked about tonight. It is correct in assuming what we want. It understands its audience. And it's a lot more fun. 
Well, it's called Tiny Creatures, and I'm very excited to watch it. Tiny Creatures. There you go. Yep, that's my recommendation. All right, Shalila. Um, that has been our uh, lockdown serenity episode. I, I really can't believe that we spent so much time on it, uh, watching and talking about it. Do you have anything you want to plug? We haven't done that in a bit. Anything we should plug here? Oh, blogs. Oh, it's been a while. Oh, I, well, okay. This isn't a plug. I don't know why the hell I would plug this. We did an episode on it. But if you haven't watched WandaVision, you probably should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. You know, that massive right. show from yeah. the biggest production house owned by the biggest entertainment company on the planet. That's just my little plug. Just a pretty niche Yeah, thing. you're really going to help um, boost the ratings with this little, uh, little mention here. It's it's legitimately very good, though. Like, it it's gotten really good. even better. Uh uh, I was uh, listening to our first episode today, and I feel like we need to do a sequel episode because half of the things we talked about were utter nonsense by the time we've caught up to like current it's life. The thing is, we were like, right, we said but a it bunch of things mattering didn't matter. so fast. <laughs> exactly. There's all kinds of things where you're like, that won't matter, so you don't need to worry about it. And then it turned out to matter a, a lot. lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, that's my plug. Uh, what's my other plugs? I don't know if I have any. We're good. Um, watch good stuff. Yeah, there's there's great stuff out there. Uh, uh, lots of movies are coming to VOD soon that aren't from big companies because they're getting ready for the Oscars. So, you know, find them. All of your A24s, all of your Neons, all of your et cetera's, they're all coming. So keep an eye out, I guess. That's my plug. Um, where can the folks find us? Oh, they can find us everywhere. We are on the internet, the interwebs. Uh, but they can uh, find us on any preferred podcast platform to listen to. Um, if you'd like to support us, we are at patreon.com slash AYSW. We are on the Twitters at twitter.com slash AYSWpod. And you can find both of our individual Twitters there as well, at more Eric Morales mm-hmm. and at OK Shalila. Yeah, we're everywhere. We're growing. That's actually true. We are growing. Look to the numbers. And tweet us your questions slash concerns. Well, I'll borrow language that I learned from the internet from the GameStop thing. Uh, We're going to take this podcast to the moon. It's going to go to the stratosphere. We're going to make sure to buy up our podcast stock and just launch it to to wherever Andromeda. I don't remember all the things that Reddit says. (laughs) Wonderful. That's it. Take us to the moon. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) 